Uh, morning. Uh, great to see you today. Um, my name's Andy. Uh, so if you have joined the church in the last two months, there's a strong chance you haven't met me before because uh, I've been uh, on a sabbatical. So uh, I'm Andy. I'm one of the leaders here. And uh, I'm going to be uh, preaching today and concluding our preaching series that we've been going through, looking at the characteristics of a godly family through different stories in the Bible. So the Bible's full of great stories that just teach us all sorts of things. Uh, so with that in mind, before we go any further, I'm going to just pray. I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to help us uh, before we go any further. So it's just... Um, just, just want to, uh, before we go any further, Holy Spirit, we just say we need you. I need you to speak. Everyone needs you to listen. We need your help here. Um, this is an activity we do where we, we open up your words and we say, Holy Spirit, would you bring life to it for us? Would you speak to our hearts? Would you challenge us? Would you change us? Would you mould us? Would you transform us and make us more like Jesus, I pray? Just ask Holy Spirit just for life at this time. Just let your word shape us. Let your word do its work within us and, 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 and do what it needs to do deep down. And I just particularly want to pray, Lord, just as I was praying this morning, just really felt challenged to pray for myself, for just, Lord, would you break cynicism in my heart? I know cynicism takes root in my heart so quickly. And so I just, I just pray again, just for me, just for everyone here, Lord, just where, where cynicism takes root, I just ask Holy Spirit that you would come and uproot it and that you would come and remove it and that you would have our hearts open to you and whatever you want to say to us. Amen. Amen. Okay, today we're going to be looking at a beautiful story, a beautiful story of unconditional kindness extended, of a promise faithfully kept of uh, love producing action, of death turned to life, of despair turned to hope, of the forgotten being remembered and of the lost finding a family. This is a story which will both encourage us and will challenge us. And this is a story of a man named Mephibosheth. Now that name is a bit of a mouthful and we should probably all practice it because I'm going to have to say it a lot in the next 25 minutes or so. And so why don't you turn to the person next to you or around you and just practice that name now with me, Mephibosheth. I, um, I thought about trying to find a shortened version of the name, but I couldn't in my mind agree what to come to. So Mephibosheth it is for the duration of this sermon. Uh, so you're going to need your Bibles this morning if you've got them. We're going to start in 1 Samuel and chapter 20 if you want to turn there. Uh, I'm just going to take a moment to set the scene before we read. Um, Israel in the Old Testament, once upon a time they didn't have a king and they decided they wanted a king. And so they said to God, God, we want a king. And God said, I don't know, that's a very good idea. But they insisted, God, we want a king. And so God raised up a man named Saul. He was uh, taller than everyone else. He was bigger than everyone else. He was stronger than everyone else. He was the definition of a hero. And God raised him up to be king. And for a while, it went great. For a while, King Saul was doing the work. He was amazing. But then eventually he began to turn away from God. His heart began to turn away from God. And God thought, well, I'm not having this. Uh, I'm going to raise up a new king to take his place. And so God raised up a shepherd boy called David. Uh, who was a young, young man, but it says of him he had a heart after God's own heart. 
And he said, okay, I'm going I'm I'm to remove Saul. I'm going to put David in his place. Now, for a while, David was welcomed into the courts of King Saul. For a while, he was very welcome and they got on well and it was all great. But eventually, King Saul began to get jealous of David and began to plot how to kill him, began to attempt to kill him. And eventually, David had to flee and hide from King Saul to protect his life. Now, King Saul had a son, a son named Jonathan. And uh, David and Jonathan, they were friends. Uh, they were more than friends. They were close. I mean, they, they were committed to each other. It wasn't just a cheap friendship. These guys, they were thoroughly committed to each other. They loved each other. The Bible speaks of their, their love and commitment. So, so you know, they, they, they were dedicated to serving one another. And, uh, and David had to flee because Saul was going to kill him. And, and so we pick up a story here, just as David is about to flee, of David and Jonathan speaking to one another. And so 1 Samuel chapter 20 and verse 13, and it'll be on the screen. This is Jonathan speaking to David. He says, May the Lord be with you as he used to be with my father. And may you treat me with the faithful love of the Lord as long as I live. But if I die, treat my family with his faithful love, even when the Lord destroys all your enemies from the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a solemn pact with David, saying, May the Lord destroy all your enemies. And Jonathan made David reaffirm his vow of friendship again. For Jonathan loved David as he loved himself. Pause there. David, David makes a commitment. He makes a promise. He makes an oath. He makes a covenant with Jonathan that should Jonathan die, David would treat his family with faithful love. Okay, these guys love each other. And David makes a commitment. I, will, I love you, but if you die, I will love your family who come after you. This is a massive promise that David makes. I will treat your family with love. Love is a word, let's be honest, that in our world is massively undermined and used in all sorts of wrong ways. It seems that love is something that comes and goes like the wind. Oh, love's here. I know it's gone again. I love you today. I don't love you tomorrow. It just seems it blows like that. This isn't the love that's being talked about here. The love that Jonathan is requesting of David is committed is faithful, is sacrificial, is unconditional, is ongoing, is powerful, is genuine, and it manifests itself in action. You see, love that produces no action is merely words. It's easy. It can be easy to just say, oh, I love you. But if it doesn't produce action, if it doesn't change how you live, if it doesn't somehow impact what you do towards that person, it's no love at all. It's just a phrase that anyone can spout. This is no weak, cheap, unconsidered love. This is intentional commitment from David to Jonathan. I love you and I will love your family. This is the sort of love that describes how we are to treat one another. And... You know, we're, we're on a journey, and there are people that we find easier than others, to be honest. And so there are some people that I find so easy to love. There are some people 
that you find, man, I can just about tolerate. And it's true, let's, let's be honest about it. I mean, you know, there are people we find easy and there are people we find difficult and they're different and they all mix up. And, and so often in church, you know, there are people we love and there are people we tolerate. And I, I pride myself, I think if I'm, doing, if I'm tolerating you, I'm doing quite well. But that isn't the love that's being talked about here. And that isn't the love that I'm called to demonstrate to people. And so, yeah, well done for tolerating people. But no, no, that's not what Jesus does. Jesus doesn't tolerate me and Jesus doesn't tolerate you. He loves me with an unrivaled passion. And, you know, I'm a broken learning individual who Jesus is just reshaping. And so my prayer is, you know, I, want to, I don't want to be stuck in a place where I do well to tolerate people. I want to know what it is to actively love and serve people. That's what family is together. That's what we're called to be together. And we'll get it right and we'll get it wrong. But that's who we get to be. We're called to love this way, to love in a way that produces appropriate action. And we can only do this because God first loved us this way. Psalm 117, which... You know, sometimes you read the Bible and find something you've never read before. I mean, I've been a Christian like forever, and I've never read Psalm 117. It's only two verses long. <laughs> Who knew that? It's what I discovered this week. It's my new favourite psalm because I have two verses, I can remember it. It says, Praise the Lord, all you nations. Praise him, all you people of the earth, for his unfailing love for us is powerful. And the Lord's faithfulness endures forever. And John 3, 16 and 17, which Matt read when we were doing communion. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. God's love for us is committed. It's faithful. It's sacrificial. It's unconditional, it's ongoing, it's powerful, it's genuine, and it manifests itself in action. As God loves us, we are called also to love in a way that is committed, that is faithful, that is sacrificial, that is unconditional, that is ongoing, that is powerful, that is genuine, and that manifests itself in action. And in our story today, David's love for Jonathan is committed, is faithful, is sacrificial, is unconditional, is ongoing, is powerful, is genuine, and it manifests itself in action. Now, if you've got your Bibles open still, I want you to flip over to 2 Samuel chapter 4 and verse 4. It says that Saul's son Jonathan had a son named Mephibosheth who was crippled as a child. He was five years old when the report came from Jezreel that Saul and Jonathan had been killed in battle. And when the child's nurse heard the news, she picked him up and fled. But as she hurried away, she dropped him and he became crippled. In this passage, we're introduced to Mephibosheth he was Jonathan's son, King Saul's grandson. He was part of the royal family, part of the royal family of Israel, and as such was possibly destined to become king of Israel himself one day. 
part of the royal line. And however, we see tragedy strike at an early age. King Saul and his son Jonathan, they're killed in battle. And in the panic that follows, Mephibosheth was dropped and crippled in both feet for the rest of his life. In what seems like a moment, disaster strikes and his entire future is changed from what was expected. This was the prince who was destined to be king and now he is a cripple with no family. Can I understand this? This, this guy, he was, he was a prince. He's destined one day to be king of Israel. That's his future. And in a moment, he's now a cripple with no family. I wonder if any of us can maybe relate to this story, to how circumstances change like this sometimes. Times when we expected life to go one way and then we're blindsided entirely and life goes off in a different direction. Where did that come from? Those moments when life in a moment just seems to change and be taken away from you. There was a couple at our south site, a guy called Lewis and a girl called Hannah, She's a young girl, 23, and was diagnosed a couple of months ago with breast cancer out of nowhere. No history in the family, nothing out of nowhere. And um, I was uh, just chatting with Lewis, just having a drink with him, seeing how he was doing. And he said to me, he said, I literally had just thought to myself, man, my life is perfect. Our plans are laid out. We know what the next few years look like. And in an instant, Everything changed. In a moment, all our plans, all our ideas, all our expectations, in a moment, just gone. All the plans, all that sense of time being in our own hands, all that self-reliance, all gone. Maybe for some of us, we're still living with that pain. Maybe we've experienced times like that in our lives where we just thought this was happening. We had it all planned and then tragedy struck or something happened and it just went off another way. Maybe we're still living with the pain of that, the disappointment, the frustration, the hopelessness that comes with it, the anger, the loss that comes with such times. Maybe there are some of us here today that feel like they've never really recovered That's what's happened to Mephibosheth here. And yet this story of him today tells us that there is wonderful hope. If you want to jump forward in your Bibles again to 2 Samuel chapter 9, we'll spend the rest of our time there. Chapter 9 and verse 1 says, One day David asked, Is anyone in Saul's family still alive? Anyone to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? He summoned a man named Ziba, who had been one of Saul's servants. Are you Ziba? The king asked. Yes, sir, I am, Ziba replied. The king then asked him, Is anyone still alive from Saul's family? If so, I want to show God's kindness to them. Ziba replied, yes, one of Jonathan's sons is still alive. He is crippled in both feet. Where is he, the king asked. In Lodibar, Ziba told him, at the home of Machir, the son of Amiel. And we'll just pause there. This story has moved on several years at this point. And for whatever reason, at this moment, 
David remembers his promise to Jonathan to treat, uh, to treat his family with love. We see that promise manifest itself as David declares his desire to show God's kindness to anyone from Jonathan's family who's still alive. God has shown great love and great kindness to David and David now wants to show that great love and kindness to others. David is merely looking to pass on what God has given to him richly. This is a really simple example to us. God has loved us and shown us great kindness and we are to show the same love and kindness to others. Okay? It's just simple. God God has shown us outrageous, amazing love and kindness. Go now likewise and show that kindness to others. It's discovered that one of Jonathan's sons is still alive, although crippled in both feet, living in a place called Lodibar, which means, looking at it, no pasture, no word, no thing. And so again, we understand that the Mephibosheth has gone from being the future king of Israel to literally living in a place named no thing, living in poverty. Future king, no thing. That's as far as he's been removed from the future that was set before him. And so we continue in verse 5. It says, so David sent for him, brought him from Machir's home. His name was Mephibosheth. He was Jonathan's son and Saul's grandson. When he came to David, he bowed low to the ground in deep respect. And David said, greetings, Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth replied, I am your servant. David sends for him. He sends for Mephibosheth and and he comes and he seems to come in great fear. It would not be an uncommon thing for a new king or king to kill all the family of the old king to ensure no rival claim to the throne, no one to seek revenge. This sort of thing still happens today in some nations where rulers are overthrown and they wipe out anybody who could be a threat in the future. What is Mephibosheth expecting when David sends for him? I mean, does he come? He comes trembling. Why does the king want me? What is the king going to do with me? His expectation very probably is he's sending for me to kill me. He's found out that I'm part of the old royal line. He wants to do away with me. He's looking to consolidate his position. He's going to get rid of anyone who's a threat. He's coming to kill me. And so Mephibosheth comes because you can't not come. But how's he coming? He's coming trembling. He's coming in fear. Probably awaiting death. Mephibosheth was afraid to visit the king who wanted to treat him like a prince. As I was thinking of that whole context, I just felt when I was writing it, are we afraid to come to the God who wants to treat us like a son and daughter? So you didn't understand Mephibosheth. David's going to show outrageous kindness to him. But he's coming in great fear. I don't want to come. I don't want to go. This is going to kill me. Are we afraid to come to God who wants to treat us like a son and a daughter with great kindness? See, we all know the verses, God loves us, God loves me, God loves you. 
But how many of us are afraid to even come into the presence of God? Because if God knew what I was really like, he wouldn't like me very much. As though somehow there's some version of you that God isn't aware of. We, and you know, when we talk about that, that's stupid. Yeah, we just think, gosh, that's crazy to think like that. As though somehow God doesn't know everything about me. And yet we still live in that place of, I can't come to God because what if he finds out what I'm like? And so we fear coming to the very God who wants to show us great kindness and love. Because what if he doesn't like what he finds? He already knows. You see, David's hand of blessing was ready there, waiting, extended towards Mephibosheth. And he just didn't want to come because he thought he was going to die. And in the same way, God's hand of blessing is extended towards us and towards you. Psalm 139, it's just the best psalm in the world ever. Verse 5, it says of him, you hem me in before and behind, you place your hand upon me. God is, we even sung this song this morning, God is for me, not against me. Because of Jesus, because of Jesus and his work on the cross, and because I'm found in Jesus and hidden in him, I am now counted as righteous and worthy to come to God. Because of Jesus, when God sees me, no sin is found in me because my life is hidden in him. Not because of anything I've done, but because of what he has done. I am now able to come every single day. And so the lie says, I can't come because of all of this. The truth says, Jesus has dealt because of all of this, so you can come. But where do we live our lives? With the lie or with the truth? God's hand is for me, not against me. So we can run to his presence and know his kindness. Our passage continues. Mephibosheth comes, he comes in fear. And verse 7, don't be afraid, David said. I intend to show kindness to you because of my promise to your father, Jonathan. I will give you all the property that once belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will eat here with me at the king's table. Mephibosheth bowed respectfully and exclaimed, who is your servant that you should show kindness to a dead dog like me? Mephibosheth comes in fear. And what does he receive from David? Life-changing kindness. Someone who has nothing to offer and no future is now going to spend his future eating at the king's table. I mean, what a beautiful picture that is. This nobody is now going to spend the rest of his days eating with royalty as part of the family. More even than this, Mephibosheth will receive all the property that belongs to his uh, to King Saul, his grandfather. This is a staggering, life-changing, lavishing of love, which finds action in the form of overwhelming, unmerited kindness. In the same way that Mephibosheth's life, hope and future was destroyed in a moment, so now with his act of kindness, his future is restored in a moment, as the weak is lifted up and made strong. 
I mean, I love how he describes himself as a dead dog. (laughs) Who am I? A dead dog. But now this dead dog is eating at the king's table. I mean, that's just, I love that image. I'm nobody. I am, who am I? I'm a dead dog that you would even consider me. This dead dog is now eating with royalty. He gets to eat at the king's table. And who gets to eat at the king's table? The royal family gets to eat at the king's table. Mephibosheth. It's not just been lifted up. He's been literally brought to the place of being part of the family. He's been taken from being a crippled, forgotten orphan to being a son of the king. You see in that picture God's heart for the outcast, the forgotten, the excluded, the isolated, the lonely, the unlovable. Over Easter, there was um, occasionally over Easter, they try and put on Christian films, um, and they're all pretty poor. But uh, there was a film called Risen, which kind of follows the story of Jesus coming back to life. Uh, and it's a made-up story, but it's uh, about a centurion whose job it is, having seen Jesus die, is then dispatched to find the body that's gone missing to disprove that this happened. And so as he tries to do that and interviews people and tries to scare people and tries to find the body, what he actually encounters at the end is Jesus. And he encounters that Jesus is real and he's risen, and it just changes his life, and he begins to follow Jesus and the disciples and just to see how is this possible, what's going on. And there's a scene in the film where they're kind of in the desert and they're on the edge of a village uh, watching what's going on and a leper comes to the village, all disfigured and and just just looks terrible. And as he comes, he comes looking for, I guess, for some food. And and everyone in the village just starts throwing things at him and cursing at him and shouting him and telling him to get out of their village because that's how lepers were treated in that day. You know, if you enter the village, no, you didn't come here, you make us unclean, we'll catch what you've got, go away. And so lepers were destined to live their life on the edges of society, isolated and away. And so this scene plays out and it cuts to this man and he's he's sat outside the village crying and Jesus goes to him and Jesus kneels with him and begins to speak to him and Jesus embraces him. And then this man walks off and, and you see as he turns his face, he's completely healed. And everyone sees and everyone's amazed by this healing. But the thing that's most powerful in that scene, you would think is the healing, it's not. It's when Jesus embraces him and this guy breaks down in tears and said, it's been years since anybody touched me. It's been years since anybody embraced me and just breaks down that someone would put their arms around him, that someone would show him love and kindness and affection and take time for him and just, it's just like devastated. For years, nobody has touched me. Nobody has cared for me. Nobody has shown me kindness. Who is this stranger who would come to me, a crippled leper, and put his arms around me? 
And we live in a world of brokenness and we live in a world of hopelessness and we live in a world, bizarrely, with all our technology that is more isolated than ever and more lonely than ever, more excluded, more forgotten, more vulnerable, more unlovable. Is there space at the king's table for people like that? Is there space at the king's table for those who are forgotten? If so, how should we be living to demonstrate that love and kindness to people? I mean, David literally took a dead dog and said, I am going to show kindness to you because of the love I have for Jonathan and the love God has for me and brings him to his table. And in a world that is full of dead dogs, full of dead dogs, how are we going to treat the world? What are we going to do? How are we going to love people? How are we going to show kindness? In a way that says to people, that says to the excluded, there is a space at the king's table for you to be part of the family of God. This incredible act of kindness of David towards Mephibosheth points us towards God's incredible act of kindness towards us through Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2, 4-7 says, God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you've been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and he seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. If you're here today and you confess Jesus as Lord, then you and I have gone from being a dead dog, a forgotten and lost orphan, to being seated at the table of God as a son or a daughter, part of the family. And God seems to be intent on saying, I've raised you up so that I can point to you and show you as trophies of grace, of examples of my kindness, to show what sort of God that I am to a broken and dying world. He's raised you up to be witnesses. God's intent is entirely, I have raised you up so you would be a witness to see what sort of God I am. That I take the dead and I make them alive. That I take the lost and I give them a home. That I take those who are orphans and give them a family. You get to show in the world, show the world the kindness and wonder of our God. Last Sunday you had baptisms here. Their testimonies would all have been different, but they were all saying in different ways, literally celebrating, I was a dead dog and now I'm placed at the table of the king. They probably didn't use those words, but that's what they're testifying to. He's taken me from this and he's placed me here. Hallelujah. This is an invitation that God wants to extend to many more people through our acts of godly kindness. Finally, in this story, we see that David provides for Mephibosheth's future. Verse 9 says, Then the king summoned Saul's servant Ziba and said, I've given your master's grandson everything that belongs to Saul and his family. You and your sons and servants are to farm the land for him to produce food for your master's household. 
but Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, he will eat here at my table. Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. And so Ziba replied, yes, my lord, the king, I am your servant. I will do all that you've commanded. And from that time on, Mephibosheth ate regularly at David's table like one of the king's own sons. Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah. And from then on, all the members of Ziba's household were Mephibosheth's servants. And Mephibosheth, who was crippled in both feet, lived in Jerusalem and ate regularly at the king's table. See, David's act of kindness was no one-off response to feeling guilt. Now, if you put a picture, you know, you see these things on TV sometimes. If you had put a picture on TV for me of poor orphans and play sad piano music in the background, my heart responds. There's a sense of guilt and a sense of pity and a sense of, I should give something to that. It's not a wrong feeling, but if you, if you set up the scenario right, my heart's bound to move towards it. That's not what this is, though. There is a commitment to David's kindness. It was a commitment not just to be kind to him for a moment, but to provide a future for him. Not only is he now invited to eat at the king's table, not only has the land of King Saul been returned to Mephibosheth, but David's kindness extends to ensuring that people would work the land to provide a future for him as well. This is David telling Mephibosheth, you're mine. Not just, here's a meal. No, no, he's saying to him, you're mine. You're mine now. In the same way that Jesus says to us, not just, here's something nice for you to today. No, no, he says to us, you're mine. You're part of my family now. I guess it's a bit like, like the face-to-face stuff. So yes, you want to provide food, and yes, you want to provide clothing to those who are on the streets and marginalised. Yes, you want to provide for their needs, and all that is absolutely the right thing to do. But really, what do they need? They need love and friendship. They need people who are going to walk with them. They're people who are going to stand with them and say, yes, I can feed you and that, but actually, you're mine. I'm with you. I will care for you. I'll be kind to you. I will love you. So it's not wrong in the moment to have an act of kindness, but that's not what's here. What's here is going beyond that. That says, not just this, but you're mine. I will love you. I'm committed to you. I'll be kind to you, not just today, but tomorrow, and again, and again, and again. And just as Jesus says to me, now you're mine, what do we say to others? How do we love others? How do we show kindness to others? Titus 3, verse 4 to 7 says, When God our Saviour revealed his kindness and love, he saved us. Not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. He generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ, our Saviour. Because of his grace, he made us right in his sight and gave us confidence that we will inherit eternal life. Ongoing Spirit, new life, eternal life. God's love for us wasn't just for a moment. This is a whole new future for us now. This beautiful story of committed love expressed in showing God's kindness from David towards Mephibosheth points us to God's kindness towards us. 
and also how we show godly kindness towards others. We want to point to God. People's kindness changes lives. You know, about 20, nearly 24 years ago, I came to this church for the first time. And, um, I mean, I've been in church forever, but I was at a stage in my life where I wasn't really interested. And I kind of came to keep my parents happy, but I was, you know, 21 and thinking, well, maybe it's time to not worry about it anymore. And I came here and two people decided they're going to be my friends. And I've told this story before. I, I didn't really want them to be my friends. And I wasn't particularly nice to them. And very easily they could have thought, well, stuff that. You know, we tried, it doesn't matter. But these two people, a guy named Mark, a guy named, Mark and a guy named Nick, kind of just wouldn't take no for an answer and kind of were willing to push past my unpleasantness and my unwillingness to kind of accept their friendship and just decided they were going to be kind to me and keep pursuing me with friendship and keep going after me with friendship. And eventually, these two guys became my best friends back then. And their godly kindness to me completely changed my life. I mean, I came here and arrived here pretty much with one eye thinking, in a very short space of time, I'm going to be out the door and gone because I'm kind of done with this. And their kindness to me and their pursuit of me with love and kindness is actually one of the major reasons I'm here today preaching to you. Because at that moment, my life could have gone this way and their kindness of being Jesus to me really ensured that it went this way. They were a gift of God to me and I am forever in their debt for those years they spent with me. Kindness changes lives. The willingness to go the extra mile with people, to not be put off. To, I mean, they must have just, whatever reason, they kind of in the end hugged me and said, no, no, you're ours and we're friends with you. That entirely changed who I was. Let me end with a quote from Mother Teresa. It says, let there be kindness in your face, in your eyes and in your smile in the warmth of your greeting. But don't only give your care, give your heart as well. I want us to stand. And we're going to take just a, just a moment to respond. I want to respond uh, in three ways. First, I just want to speak to anyone here who guess feels like they're one of the forgotten people. You feel you're forgotten. Or you feel that you're nothing, that no one really notices you, that you have nothing to offer, that you have nothing to bring. You live in that place, I guess, of just feeling hopeless. I just really want to say that, that God, God has not forgotten you. And it would be the heart of us as a church to say, you are not forgotten. It would be our heart to put our arms around you and hug you. And I just really felt as I was preparing this, that if that's you, if you're on the fringes, if you're on the edges, that, that God wants to extend his hand today and say to you, come and eat at my table. 
because you're a child of the king. And you probably won't believe that because it feels like nothing could be further from the truth. But he wants to say to you today, you're a child of the king. You're not forgotten. And I love you. I also just felt I was writing this that maybe there are some people here who've never really recovered from that life-changing moment and all the pain that came with it, that you felt life was going to be one thing and it just took off a different direction after something happened and, and you've never really recovered from it. And just today that God wants to show you his kindness and his restoration and help you move forwards. And lastly, I just want to pray that through the ongoing power of the Holy Spirit within us, we'd be really great at extending God's loving kindness to others. Because sometimes I'm good at it and sometimes I'm not. And so I need the Holy Spirit to help me. Because I want to do better. I want to be more like Jesus. And I don't want to just be someone who stands and preaches it and then goes away. I've got to change. And I've got to grow. And so we'll do this in reverse order. I just want to take a moment and I just, as we were worshipping, I just really felt this. And you may not be able to do this and you may not want to do it, but, but I felt there's a place of repentance because I know what's in my heart and I know the hard-heartedness that finds its place there towards other people. I know what I feel about other people sometimes and I know how I treat other people sometimes and I know what I think about other people sometimes. And I don't want to be like that, I want to be like Jesus, and so I need to repent. And we've talked a bit about that today. And so I just felt, and so if, and if that's you as well, and you think, yes, I need to repent too, I'm going to invite you to do what I do, which is really I want to get on my knees for about a minute and just repent. Now, if you are unable to get on your knees physically, but you want to respond, don't worry about getting on your knees. You can just take a chair or something, that's fine. But just felt overwhelmingly there's a place to get on your knees before God and just say, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for some of the things in my heart and some of the things and some of my words and I want to be more like Jesus. Would you help me and would you forgive me? So I'm going to do that. You're very free to, you're very free not to. I know I need to and then we'll pray for one or two other people and finish. And this is between you and him so I'm not going to say a nice prayer for you all. You can pray for yourselves with him. I'll just do this for a moment. Just offer our repentance, Lord, and just say we're sorry. Sorry for the things that find their ways into our heart, that find our ways into our minds, through our words sometimes. 
thank you that you know we're work in progress and that your hand of forgiveness extends to us. So we just come and just offer our repentance and just say, would you forgive us? We just want to receive forgiveness now. Would you forgive us? I don't, I don't want to be like that. I want to be filled with compassion like Jesus is filled with compassion. I want to be filled with love. I want to see people how you see people, with the value that you see them with. People who are created in your image. People who reflect something of you, even in their brokenness and their fallenness. I want to see people as you see people and value people as you value people. And just ask, would you break the things in my heart that stand in judgment on people? And would you make me a person? Holy Spirit, would you help me? Would you make me a person who extends love and kindness to others in a way that points people to you and who you are? All right, amen. I'm just going to invite you just to stand again. I'm just going to ask you to take a step of courage or faith now. Just if you're one of the people I spoke of who just feels, I feel like I'm forgotten. I feel like I come but no one knows me. I feel like I'm one of those people. Or if you're somebody who just feels like I've never truly got over this happening in my life. We just would love just to pray with you and bless you and just help you move on, actually, and know the power of the Holy Spirit who comes to heal and to transform. And so if that's you, I just would invite you just to come and respond. I understand that's a brave thing and it's asking a lot, but if that's you, there's just space at the front and we would love to just gather around you and pray with you. And so just want to invite you forward. Um, there's no special thing at the front. You can receive where you are, but just really would love us to be able to gather around you, actually, and just in kindness and in love, and just bless you. Um, if you're on the response team and want to just begin, or if you're an elder here and want to do something, I'd love to just do that. And just want to take a moment longer just to offer this space, and then we'll, we'll pray and close the meeting. Don't be put off by people. Let me put off by pressure. Okay, let's just all close our eyes for a moment. Thank you for your word, Lord, and thank you that your word just tells us stories of great kindness and great love. Yes. Tells us stories that point to you and your great kindness and your great love for us. Just in such a way that I'm so thrilled. Our heart is so warmed that we have this God who loves us, who has hugged us close and says, you're mine, you're part of my family, you get to eat at my table, you are my son and my daughter. 
And Lord, I just pray for our identity. I pray that we wouldn't believe the lies that tell us otherwise, but that we would embrace the truth and live in the good of that. And I ask Holy Spirit that as we go today, you would just pour yourself out over us, that we would go full of confidence, that we would go secure in our identity in you, that we would go with a fresh understanding of, man, who am I, a dead dog that gets to be a son or a daughter of God? How amazing that I've been taken from this to that. I want to just spend my time rejoicing. Lord, would you would you help it to stir within us joy and rejoicing and happiness and freedom that truth sets us free. And Lord, I pray as we go this week, would you open our eyes to the world around us? We come sometimes say, would you give us opportunity to extend kindness? The reality is we just open our eyes. There is need everywhere. And so, Lord, I pray this week for ears open, for eyes open, for heart open, for mind open, and that we would just see opportunities around us and that we would, full of the Holy Spirit, not our own strength, but when we take steps of faith, you help us, Holy Spirit. And so, full of the Holy Spirit, that we would, in whatever way, show your love and kindness to the world around us. For your glory. Amen.